Welcome to the Being Human podcast, brought to you by Relate Malaysia. Join us in our conversations about what makes us human and why we think and behave in the ways that we do. We'll talk about mental health, emotional well-being, and how we can sometimes feel on top of the world. And other times, like life calls for a large tub of ice cream and a big spoon. So come on in, relax, and let's explore this puzzle of being human together. Hello and welcome to this episode of Being Human. My name is Dr. Chua Suk Ning, and today I'm joined by YB Hannah Yeo, who is the former Deputy Minister Women, Family and Community Development. Currently, she is the Member of Parliament for P117 Sagambut, which she contested in the historic 2018 general election. From 2013 to 2018, Hannah was the Speaker of the Selangor State Legislative Assembly, making her the first women speaker and the youngest of any legislative body in Malaysia. A lawyer by training, she was a practicing lawyer in Australia and Malaysia before venturing into politics. Throughout her time as a politician, Hannah has made her voice heard as a champion of mental health, standing alongside mental health professionals and NGOs to help raise the standard of service in Malaysia. In 2014, her memoir, Becoming Hannah, A Personal Journey, was published in praise for being a story that grips you with its refreshing honesty. As a public servant who leads with her heart and her head in equal measure, Hannah cites the following quote as the inspiration that drives her daily commitment to public service. I want to inspire people. I want someone to look at me and say, because of you, I didn't give up. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Hi, Sunni. So I think you have already succeeded because you definitely inspired me not to give up. Um, Does this quote from your Facebook page still ring true in driving your commitment to public service? Definitely. I always remember um, when I was asked, why why did you want to join politics? Uh, Politics is always seen, especially for the Christians, uh, it's a dirty feel, don't get involved. But I like to prove that there is room for clean politicians in Malaysia and that you know Malaysians don't have to give up on this nation and that there are enough good people who are still working out uh, the systems in this country, are still fighting for really a better country for the children to come in this nation. And so... I always want to be a good role model and I want to be as honest as possible with my struggles uh, because I don't want people to think that, you know, she can do it because she has supernatural strength. She can do it because she has a good support structure. Uh, When you are honest and when you share your struggles, it will help people to better relate to your challenges and then instead of them saying look I also want to give up they will then turn it around by saying because you know she is surviving this I can also do the same yes and that is quite a different take from I guess how people in power usually frame it right like if you're in power of your uh, a well-known individual you put up a guard you don't let anyone see your vulnerability and, you know, even for me talking about depression, I, I went, started talking about depression, knowing that this was an effective way to 
um, destigmatize mental illness. But even I, even to this day, have that sense of trepidation. You know, will someone use it against me? Will it backfire against me? So how do you deal with that? You know, wanting to be vulnerable, but even when it is a purpose, isn't it scary to do that? That's exactly why we frame the book uh, in such a way that it is a personal journey. It is me telling my story. So nobody can really fight you on that because it's from your perspective, your feelings, and your plans of action. And so I think as long as you keep it personal when you are sharing, always remind the the viewers or the readers that it is your story. Uh, Then people cannot twist it. People cannot turn it against you. That's good advice, you know, for anyone who's even thinking about dare I share my story and, and my journey, you know, I, yeah. it's almost like you're saying this is your truth and nobody right. can fight you on, on it. Exactly. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, the vulnerability uh, and authenticity, honesty, and as well as the difficulty of being a politician and wanting to be clean. So you went from law which has its own reputation, but then into you know politics and of all places, Malaysia. So what are the underlying values that have been driving your career from early days until now? And has, has that changed yep. at all? I will be very upfront with you. Um, a lot of the things, in fact, everything that I do is centered around my faith. And so that becomes the decision-making factor uh, in my life. So when I was doing law, uh, I did three years of law and then I prayed and I sought for direction and I felt called to leave law and to help my father in his business. So I went into event management um, two years and then I felt that I needed to do something instead of just complaining. And so I registered to be a voter. And then when I was offered to run for the state seat of Subang Jaya, my hometown, Again, we prayed about it and we felt, yes, this is the right thing to do. This is what we sense God was telling us to do. And so we jumped into it despite not having experiences, despite not having any political ambition and no expectation. I literally called my boss in the event management company. I said, give me two weeks of unpaid leave. I'm not going to win the election, but I felt that I am called to just give it a try. And so don't worry, I think I'm back for work. And, and then wow. I'm on. And so that's exactly how I have dealt with every single challenge and every single decision-making uh, process. I turn to someone higher. I, I turn to God for direction. And I think that's the underlying factor across all the decisions I've made. Uh, really that I'm not here for myself. It is a calling. It is a public service. I don't know how long I'm in here for. And and so Mm -hmm. when I have that mindset, it really helps me to keep in perspective whatever I'm doing as a politician. So I always tell my team, I don't know when God is calling me out. Mm -hmm. As such, I don't have the natural term like how a normal politician would. They go in and maybe they think, well, when I retire you know, at that physical age of 60, then I will step out of politics. I actually don't have that timeline because I really don't know when I will be called out of politics, when when my time is up, when I should not overstay. And so because of that, time is of essence. So I always tell my two guys, maybe we only have this term left to do whatever reforms we want. And so even when I was in Putrajaya, yes, even though it's only 22 months, but I can tell you without regret, I have... Uh, worked my best together with my team 
every 12 months, we publish a report on, you know, the progress we have made because we, we just didn't take for granted that we would have five full years in Putrajaya. And I'm thankful for that kind of mindset. It has really helped me to keep an account of my time and also to be accountable. I, I know that people may not see what we do in private, how I spend my time, but at the end of the day, I am accountable to, to my God on the power that he has given me, this position of influence. What am I doing with it? Am I, am I truly using it to help people? Mm-hmm. You know, So I, I felt that really my faith has helped me a lot to keep me on track in public service. So speaking about faith, and just, you know as well, you know, we've talked about it before. Um, I'm a Christian as well. And sometimes I do struggle even with, you know, how public am I with my faith? And, you know, just in case there is some conflict, you know, and I don't want people to say, ah, you know, uh, this Christians, right? You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and so, you know, in, in me, you know, and I identified that I'm wanting to live up my faith. And it, there's also that fear component of being some high example, and then being afraid that that you would fail and people will blame all sorts of things, you know, so I, I then tell myself, okay, or maybe I justify to myself, um, let's not make faith. So, you know, number one, because I'm afraid that, you know, God will be embarrassed, I guess, you know, if, if I fail him. But how do you, you are very public. Um, how do you balance that? You know, like, does it ever bother you that, you know, that faith might become a, might be blamed for your actions? It does. Uh, when I campaign, I campaigned exposing my faith very publicly. And because of my faith, I say that's why I'm called to come in to make a stand on corruption, to make a stand on race-based politics. And so I, I was very consistent with my faith, as in I, I, I tell it unashamedly. But at the same time, I think my honesty with my struggles and my challenges make that Christian faith even more real to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not ashamed to to say that, you know, I'm struggling in this area. And that's why, you know, peer support is so crucial. I have very good peer support in, in politics. You know, the, the, the part that you say, sometimes whatever we do, we may end up not glorifying God. And because of that, let's not tell people about it because I don't want to dishonor God. But for me, I work on the reverse. Because I said it in the beginning, I have this thing that I need to hold up to. So I constantly remind myself, look, I cannot not glorify God with my work because the Bible encourages us a lot about, you know, when, when people see your good deeds, people will praise your father in heaven. And so I, I shape my mind and my thoughts and my action based on that because that is the truth I know. And so as long as I am constantly doing good towards others, um, I keep it very, very simple. Really, there are so many commandments uh, for, for us to, to really follow, but you know, there are already two simplified commandments, you know, to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So in every crisis, in every situation, I always try to think about the other person. You know, what would I do if I were in his or her shoes? And so I will always think good. You know, the best outcome I can find out of that situation, I want to do that. The other thing um, I also think is very useful uh, in Malaysia is the fact that, you know, we have the Rukun Negara to guide us. 
and the Rukun Negara makes it very clear. The first one is kepercayaan kepada Tuhan. So really, we are very blessed to be in this nation where, you know, faith is upheld like that, number one. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't feel like it, it is a struggle, but the most important thing I have learned in my process of learning about my faith is never to impose my belief and my faith on another individual. It can be a Christian or a non-Christian because we cannot expect people to act like us or to agree with us. And so, yes, I make my faith very public, but at the same time, it is also faith is also a private thing. So, you know, we cannot force it upon others. One thing that immediately then comes to mind, you know, given your strong faith and determination to live it out and have it, you know, kind of shape your your decisions. Has there been a time where you made a decision out of faith, but it was foolish to the world, you know, like it went against all the world's principles and, you know, the world was encouraging you to do this because it made so much sense, but actually, you know, you made a different decision um, out of faith. Definitely, I can straight away think of a scenario which I will share with you. Um, After serving two terms in Subang Jaya as the state assemblyman, uh, I was uh, in a comfortable place. I was made speaker of the state assembly at the age of 34, first woman, youngest woman speaker. And for me, as a Malaysian Chinese Christian young mother, minority of all minorities, right? This is the highest public office I can hold in Selangor, being the speaker. Because the constitution said, state constitution said that, you know, I cannot be the chief minister of Selangor. And so for me, really, in terms of political career, this is the highest office I can climb, and I'm there. Uh, but sometime towards the end of my term in Subanjaya, when we were all talking about the next election, which was this 2018 election, I, I sensed at that time that God wanted me to walk out of my comfort zone because I was in a comfortable place. And so my husband and I, we prayed about it, and we felt that, yes, we have to let this go, uh, and that I will be asked to contest at the federal level to become a member of parliament. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, I was offered the seat to run, but that means I have to give up on state politics. I have to leave Selangor and move to federal territory. Now, this move may sound like a promotion in the eyes of many, but when you are speaker, you have all the facilities and you move to Kuala Lumpur, where you don't have any councillors to help you, you have no state assemblyman to to help you because it's a federal territory. And so that would mean as a member of parliament now, sometimes I'm required to do a councillor's role. When they call me, you know, trees are, you know, falling or council is chopping off trees, what are you doing about it? Or state matters. And so I have to carry the load of three people alone on my own in KL. And so when I felt that was the right thing to do, sharing it with my team, even my teammates couldn't really agree and couldn't really understand why would you give up? Why would you give up this comfortable position as a speaker? And, and in government, in Slango, you, you know, you have the power to launch more reforms. Why would you want to move to KL with no resources, no prospect of Pakatan Harapan winning federal power at that time, you know, you will end up just becoming an opposition. There's nothing you can do because you have no power, you have no resources, no money. 
Why would you do this? I obeyed because I felt that's the right thing to do. It's time to give up comfort. And, and I gave a speech during the campaign in Putrajaya, urging civil servants, urging everybody to come out of your comfort zone. Because for Malaysia to change, we must all leave our comfort zone. And so I say, I'm leaving my comfort zone of Subang Jaya. I'm now going to Sidabut, a new territory with no resources. And I am glad I did because that 22 months in Putrajaya, I don't think it's a waste. It has helped me understand my passion about children and what is needed to reform these areas. Uh, it has given me that training to do whatever I, I need to do in future uh, and so I have no regrets, even though now we lost everything uh, and we're back to square one. But I feel that in life, you have to take certain risks. Uh, and as long as you can truly answer to yourself that you, you are not making uh, decisions from a place of comfort, you know, uh, I, I know for me, that's an act of sacrifice uh, to give all that up and move. And I still say that it is a worthy decision. There's a, a, a verse that um, popped into my head and, you know, it says in, in the Bible, like a, he who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And you're sort of listening to that story and, and seeing that perseverance, you know, that you went from what seemed to be the most comfortable and you said the highest level of position um, then you know going to MP and deputy minister that seems like pretty good you're like yeah yeah that's a good role right made the right choice and then everything that was out of your control happened and it lost it all and I don't know it really encourages me to hear you say but it wasn't a waste you know that out of that you learned something um, really valuable um, that then you can use in your commitment to public service, you know? I, I look back at the 22 months. I'll tell you that last year, March, when the lockdown happened, and that was just one month after Sheraton moved, I was going and experiencing grief and loss and confusion all at the same time and then lockdown. So from becoming so busy to having nothing to do at home, uh, I, I took time to grieve. It was kind of difficult because that was also the time when the lockdown happened. Um, there were a few decisions that were reversed. For example, the women ministry decided to suspend Thailand Pasir, which we were promoting heavily, um, that helpline. And then I was thinking of that roadmap for child marriage. I was thinking about uh, you know, our plans to hire more protectors so that children will be in a safer place. All these things came to an end. And it took a conversation with a fellow MP and fellow Deputy Minister, Dr. Ong Kenami. He told me two words uh, that really helped me. I don't even think he knew at that time the impact of those two words. He said, Hannah, let go. Just these two words, let go. Hmm. I, I really felt that, yeah, this is beyond my control. I, I don't have to hold on to this loss and this sense of grief. And I'll let go and I'll rebuild. And so I have since discovered that I still have this voice, this effective voice that I can be in parliament as an opposition, that I can still fight that cause uh, for children. And I remember one of the first interviews I did as a deputy minister, they asked me, you know, so what is your plan? What is your purpose? I said, I want to bring, I want to be the voice for children in parliament. And I realized now that, hey, I don't need position for me to fulfill that. I can be a voice for children as a deputy minister. I can be the voice of children as an opposition MP. 
and I, I can still do this. And so when I discovered that, hey, I still have this voice I, and I, I need to use it, I make sure I take, I grab hold of every opportunity I can to ask questions, to debate and to just fire away. And so it, it took me months to discover that. So sometimes in life, when you take a different road and things don't turn out the way you want it to be, stop and think and ask yourself first, what do I really want? And sometimes you find that the change of circumstances cannot silence the passion you have. You know, you can still find your way around it. And you can, what you like to do, you can still do it despite not holding office, but in a different way. Yeah. So take that time to really grieve, examine what you're doing. And, and that's, that's when I think you can filter out whether what you're grieving is because of the loss of position or what you're grieving is the loss of a cause. For me, I have not lost the cause. I've only lost the position. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, it's still within my control, that cause, and I can still do it. Amen. Um, so that that's a very smooth transition to, you know, what is then dear to my heart on mental health. And the, the journey for of Relate actually did come from loss. You know, it was out of my depression. And when I felt I did lose um, a lot and I struggled to find work, actually, you know, after um, being depressed, I've actually never said that in public, but, you know, it was a difficult time. And then I was thinking, you know, we need to make mental health an important public health issue in Malaysia. And things have obviously changed so much. But, you know, even that time when I approached you in, in, in Subang Jaya, there wasn't much being done. And I was a nobody, by the way, so I had no position. Um, And I had just this idea that we need to do something because I felt if I had all my knowledge and the self-stigma was so strong that the knowledge didn't um, erode the prejudice that I felt towards myself, you know, sort of the, my own critical judgment um, for being depressed. And so then I thought, you know, what more, and that's the, what the research shows as well, like if someone who doesn't understand what's going on and doesn't know what's going on. And so I approached you almost, I think, six years ago with nothing established and like no plan. And I said, you know, um, Hannah, I want to do this and I feel like we should do something. And you were just... I just recall being um, so encouraged by your support, you know, and that also came after being turned down by other people. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, she actually thinks um, this is a valuable and good idea and it's willing to support me in that. Um, so that blew my mind. And, you know, as I said, it is, um, I can safely say, and let's be cheesy because of you, I didn't give up and relate this here, I think, uh, a big part of, of your encouragement. What led you to sort of think there's any merit in that idea or, you know, turn your attention to mental health and see it as a cause um, that is important to you? When I learned that mental health issues are so real to so many Malaysians and it's affecting 30% of our population. And it was the time when Dr. Larry Kifova from uh, America, he was down uh, in Subang Jaya and he volunteered to help me give a talk to caregivers. And the topic we did was understanding the suicidal mindset. I still remember that. And we organized that forum in MPSJ. We booked the auditorium. I was shocked to see the response. The auditorium filled up very quickly and we 
organize a spillover room in a second in, in a foyer. And that fill up too, all the seats. And so that hit me that this is a silent problem in our community. A lot of caregivers and people are suffering without help because of the stigma. And there's a real need for people to get help, including caregivers. And so when, when I met you, I really felt that we all have nothing to lose because the condition is so bad in Malaysia that even if we were to do something small, it would be a big thing for these people who are looking for help. And that's why I felt if everybody would just try out and, and not to just give it a try and not think that it might not work because we have nothing to lose. And yes. you did it. So I'm very happy uh, because I knew then that stigma is real. And you told me about how people would be so afraid to come to get consultation, to get help for fear of being discovered. And that's why we say, well, virtual assessment, virtual counseling would be so useful. And I thought we really have nothing to lose. Just give it a try. You know, it's better to try and fail than not try it at all. Let's just do it and see where it goes. Uh, and that's been my philosophy in life. Politics, just do two weeks. I have nothing to lose because the situation is bad. Well, if I lose election, I go back to work only on paid leave. But if we win, hey, look, you know, what else can we do? So, you know, when you always go out with the mindset, I have nothing to lose. You know, you become very, how do I say, people cannot defeat you. It's hard to take you down because you, you go out with the feeling, I have nothing to lose. And I think that's a very important mindset to have. Yeah, because, and we still have nothing yeah. to lose now because Relate yeah. is just small. It's still small and scrappy and we, we just try new things. And I think, yeah, yeah that really you know resonates with, with what we do because we're like, we're not a big brand name that has things to do, but people need help. And we, we don't know what's going to work, you know, and yeah. we just got to try things. If it doesn't work, try something else and keep trying something else until something sticks, you know? Yeah. This idea that um, if if you have nothing to lose, you will be unbeatable. And when you you know came on the scene um, long ago, it's it's amazing how things have changed in ten years. Um, mental health wasn't very trendy. In fact, you yeah. know you we talked about it, and and you said even among um, people in power, there was a lot of stigma. What gave you that courage, you know, to stand up for it at a time where people were st- and until today, but people were more overtly making fun. I remember that, you know, in the newspapers, right, it was reported that people would use certain labels or, or language uh, associated with mental health as an insult for other politicians. And so from then, and you stood up um, for mental health at an early point and, and attached your name to that, right? And it came, you know, coming from the speaker of um, uh, Solango State Assembly, that was a big thing. What helped you take that leap and, and I guess, not care about your face? I went through a brief period of depression uh, after high school uh, when I went through failure in that sense, uh, being the hate prefect and not being able to score straight A's and so being used as a bad example. Um, and I struggled with self-confidence. I struggled with weight gain. I struggled with so many things. And, and that was at the time where I was also discovering my faith, you know, every, everything changed for me. And, and that brief period of depression, I, I remember just finding help because 
you know, my friend gave me a Bible. I read the words. I felt comforted. And I have a cousin who moved from Penang to help me in that journey. And so I understand that people cannot go through this alone. Uh, you need peer support. You just need a friend who can help you, encourage you. You know, this bad time will come to an end. There, there will be light at the tunnel. And when I saw the caregivers coming for Dr. Larry's uh, talk, and then I, I wrote into all the police uh, and I asked for statistics and I, I, I began to research more and read more. And then I found out more and more cases in Subang, people were committing suicide. And I, I didn't stop at that because for me, I'm not interested in the numbers, but I really want to know how families deal with this when a case happens. Uh, how do caregivers learn to forgive themselves uh, for people who think that they have not tried hard enough, they have not done enough? How, how, what else can we do from a policy point of view? Uh, and so I asked for details. I, I was present at some of these funerals. Very quietly, I went just to speak to the parents, to speak to the family members, to understand what else is needed. And, you know, you can almost see their eyes open up when I told them, hey, you know, don't feel so alone because it's affecting 30% of Malaysian population. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, out of this grief, maybe an activist will come from this family. Uh, another active, if we help them deal with guilt and give them the tool to help them um, counsel and comfort others who are going through the same thing. And, and then when I was deputy minister, I realized that, hey, the counseling board uh, is under our ministry. Uh, and, and how can I further strengthen this counseling part in, in the social welfare department? Uh, how, how can we help children who are struggling? How can we help family members so all these were in the process and then Sheraton move happened. But it helped me understand more the problems and the need. At that time, I remember I was looking at working with Ministry of Health to bring their uh, Muntari project. You know, they all have these Muntari centers and uh, it's hidden somewhere near the hospital. And so we went and we said, hey, you know, if you want to fight stigma, let's bring Muntari centers to all the shopping malls, you know, uh, make Muntari like just a shop that you will walk into to pay your TMB bills or to pay your phone bills. People go to malls for all kinds of reasons. Let's just make this really, really accessible for people. Uh, and then Sheraton will happen. But, so I'm still pushing for this in Parliament. I really want to see the day people talk about counselling, people talk about mental health and getting help, like they would do to get a Panadol for relief from a doctor or from, you know, from a GP, uh, people would want to get better. People would want to go and get help. Uh, so I think my experience with depression really, really helped me understand the mindset. Uh, but for people who are going through this, I think you really need to know that there are people who care for you and especially for caregivers. I feel that caregivers are placed in a more difficult position and a more painful position because they love so much. Uh, they love the other person who is suffering. They love them so much that they will not give up and, and you know, work out this plan because, you know, it's not something that is short-term. It takes time for a person to get better. And I, I really feel that caregivers need more support. And it, it is, you know, people people may focus on the, um, the individual. And of course, the individual needs support, but then sometimes we forget, right, that the social network around that person also needs a lot of resources. Um, 
Thank you very much for spending your time. I have just one more question because, you know, you started talking a little bit about policies and, and what's something that you think is a must have in terms of policy changes for us to come to that point where you said mental health care would be accessible and there would be no shame in, in reaching out and talking to a professional. What kind of changes, uh, structural changes do we need? I want to see the rehabilitation part and the recovery part magnified and grow uh, in Malaysia. You know, for people who are struggling with mental health, and a lot of time it has to do with addiction, whether it is drugs or you know, all kinds of addiction, for us to remove that stigma, we must be able to allow people to come out openly and heal together. So we have a lack of this kind of rehabilitation centers where people who are suffering the same thing can come together, you know, in, in the care group and, and talk about it and, and journey together. At this point of time, I feel that a lot of people are at home trying to heal in that private space. They take medicine. They uh, try to see a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist one-on-one, but they cannot go public and they cannot walk this journey with others because of the stigma. But imagine if every single person who is depressed in Subang Jaya or in Segambut can have a centre where they can gather weekly or daily, you know, different hours, they come together, they talk about it, and they help encourage one another, that I think would lift a huge burden out of the caregivers. At this point of time, it's shouldered by the caregivers uh, at trying to find ways. But if people who are going through this can gather around each other and, and, and offer peer support, I think that would be such a powerful thing. So I really want to see more rehabilitation centers, recovery centers grow across Malaysia. So people who are in this, the 30% can help the 30%. Amazing. I am so for that. Um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, the day, I feel, I feel like you just gave me my Martin Luther um, speech there and I have a dream, you know, and, yeah. and you, you're right. This is, it's that there is no shame and that there's peer support, um, that the burden is you know, that the families can get the relief and the rest that they need, but people can continue getting better and supported, you know, and, and that's the, the, the best. Um, I wish we had more time, but we don't. But thank you so much, Hannah, for joining me today. No problem. I'm glad we have this conversation because it, it helps to remind me of certain causes or you know, certain things I, I felt very passionately for and maybe, you know, I lost it along the way. And now to be reminded again what I need to do, and thank you for listening to this episode of Being Human. We'll be hosting guests on a regular basis, so be sure to tune in for some more insights on how we can understand ourselves better and learn to live a life on our own terms and one that's meaningful to us. My name is Dr. Chua Sukning, and I look forward to sharing some more valuable insights from the world of mental health with you very soon. Thank you for listening to the Being Human podcast. To find out more about Relate Malaysia's online therapy services, visit us at www.relate.com.my or email us at inquires at relate.com.my. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, remember, we are all more human than we are otherwise. Be kind to yourself and take care.